So sanctification, uh, it's like I had mentioned before, it's kind of a long word, um, which can be threatening in ways, but uh, hopefully by the end of today, you'll have a better understanding of um, what sanctification is and how it's truly not scary um, to think about. Um, Not too long ago, Tyson was able to come up, uh, he taught on justification um, and was able to uh, help calm our fears as far as uh, that big, long, scary word is concerned. And uh, so this morning I hope to do the same for us. Um, So we're working our way through the book of Romans, and like I mentioned earlier, Romans chapter 6 talks about sanctification, Uh, specifically chapter 6 verse 11 says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So that's kind of the essence of what sanctification is, considering yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. So that's kind of the overall umbrella of what sanctification is, and that's in Romans chapter 6. We also looked in Romans chapter 8 um, as well. It talks on, it teach, uh, Paul teaches on walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh. So when he says walking in the Spirit, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. We're going to see that the Holy Spirit is instrumental in sanctification, in our becoming uh, more and more free from sin, more and more like Christ. So both Romans chapter 6, chapter 8 touch on sanctification. So we kind of already have a foundation in some ways if you've been able to be here for those Um, This morning, I want to challenge us as we're desiring to strengthen our faith or trusting in truth, as we've phrased, uh, as we've come up for the phrase of what faith is, trusting in truth. As we try to strengthen our faith, we have to learn truth in order to trust in it. In order to know truth, we have to learn it. So it's kind of a, a big circle of trusting in truth. If we want to trust in truth, We've got to learn in order to know, in order to trust, okay? So that's what I want to encourage us to do here today. Hopefully by the end of today, you will have more truth to trust in so that your faith can be strengthened. Um, So that's the the challenge that I want to give to you this morning, um, as well as um, just after we come away from our time together this morning, I would hope that you'd be able to Uh, spend time with someone explaining to them what sanctification is. I know uh, we've been challenged with the doctrine of justification uh, because it is so pivotal in the life of a believer that we would be able to spend at least 15 minutes discussing with someone what justification is, how it works itself out, who's involved in justification. And I want the same to be true today for sanctification, for you to be able to say, uh, to have a conversation with someone and say, this is what sanctification looks like. Uh, these, these are the, the, key, uh, the key players in sanctification. Uh, this is what uh, a timeline of sanctification looks like. And this is what sanctification looks like in my own life personally. So it's a big word. Uh, it's a big scary word. But hopefully by the end of the day, you can take that word, you can break it down, and you can explain it in your own words um, for an extended amount of time because it is so important to us as believers. Um, so sanctification answers the big question that everyone asks as a Christian. I have surrendered my life to Christ. Now what? Okay. I have given myself over to Christ. I've died to myself, but now what? Like I still have a whole life to live. What, what happens from here on out? And, um, the beginning of Romans chapter 6, Paul kind of, he's role-playing, and he kind of asks the same question. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died still live in it? So he's saying, so, okay, you're telling me that uh, that, that through Christ, you know, I've received forgiveness, um, but so now I just keep, like, I get to enjoy forgiveness, but now I just keep on living the same way? Like, is that that's kind of, is that cool? Like, is that what I'm supposed to do? And he says, no. In fact, it's impossible. It's kind of like an if-then statement. If you've died to sin, then how can you still live in it? It's kind of, he, he, he wants to show, he wants to teach us that it's not possible to still live in it. And that living is more of a, 
it's not a, you'll be completely sinless, but it's more of a, a, an overarching theme of your life. Will you, you can't continue in your lifestyle of sin because you've died to it, okay? So he answers that big question for us, I've surrendered my life to Christ, but now what? Now what's my relationship to sin? All right. Um, your first section there, your first uh, Roman numeral says, what is the sanctification of the believer? Okay. So we're going to define it. Um, in your blank there, it says terms to know sanctification. And this is the same definition that we saw in Romans 6. Okay. It's the progressive work of the Holy Spirit and the believer. Progressive work of the Holy Spirit and the believer that makes us more and more free from sin and more and more like Christ. Okay, so that's kind of our sovereign hope definition that we have for sanctification. You'll see other definitions of sanctification out there, and they'll be very similar to this definition. Um, but as you can tell, there are many facets to the definition that you're writing down. You see that, uh, first off, it's a progressive work. It involves the Holy Spirit. It involves the believer. And then there's two different things that are happening in there. We're more and more free from sin, but we're more and more like Christ. So there's all sorts of dynamics to this definition that, that we've written down. Um, the root word to sanctification is sanctify. Okay, And then the definition for, for sanctify means to render or to conform, or to change. is basically like a, a molding process, a changing process, okay? To render someone or something unique or different or special. So we're changing something to make it special. Um, sanctify also means to set apart. So when you take something and you want to make it unique, you take it out of this big group of things that you have and you set it to the side. Say, I want to remember where this book is. I want to remember where um, my keys are. So you take them and you put them in a special spot. You just sanctified your keys. Think about that next time, okay? So it's that setting apart, making unique, changing, molding, conforming to be different than everything else. Okay, that's sanctified. It's, just, it's the root word of sanctification, which follows along with the same changing to make different, to make unique. Um, we see the same concept in Exodus uh, chapter 19, verse 5. Um, this is after Israel has escaped Egypt. Uh, God has shown his faithfulness to Israel by parting the Red Sea, by uh, destroying the Egyptians who were coming after them. He's shown them uh, his faithfulness through providing through them on their way to Mount Sinai where he's about to uh, give them the Ten Commandments and uh, prove to them that he wants to be in relationship with them. And so Exodus 19, verse 5, uh, God says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So God says, I want to make you special. You, you are special to me. It's not that you're the only group of people that I'm in control of or that I love or that uh, that I own in a way because he says I own everything I'm God I'm creator everything here is in my possession but I want you to be my treasured possession I want you to be my unique gift that's set apart just for me but before that he says there's some contingencies here you have to obey me you have to follow my commands so their being unique, their being his treasured possession, involves their obedience to him and their trust in him. So it's a, it's a relationship in two ways, um, their obedience and, and his faithfulness to them, but already with the nation of Israel, he's communicating, you are special to me, and you're special to me if you are obedient to me, and if you love me, if you trust me. 
But just know that my intentions are for you to be special to me, to sanctify you. Um, so sanctification um, is a process. And we see that uh, it was a process. It would have been a process or it was a process for the nation of Israel. Uh, it's a process for us. It's a progressive work for us as believers. So that's the kind of the overarching uh, you know, dead to sin, alive to God and Christ Jesus. It's that uh, that process of, of it's it's a process. Okay, whereas justification wasn't a process. Sanctification, just remember, it's a process, which leads us into the contrast between justification and sanctification. I wish I didn't have to use these occasions, but <laughs> for this occasion. I'll have to use the occasions, okay? It was like Dr. Seuss there. <laughs> Red fish, blue fish. Okay. Um, so it's important that we see the differences between being justified and being sanctified, but that we also see how they're related together, all right? Um, justification and sanctification are uh, kind of coincide with that same already and not yet that we've used in Romans. So there's the aspect of already, which is being justified before God. Just, justification is being declared righteous uh, before God through Christ's righteousness. Okay? So that's what the kind of the, the nutshell of justification. It's, it's, it's something that happens, and it's a one-time happening for us as believers and it's, it's God saying, this is what you are, okay? And then the not yet is sanctification. And it is the conforming us into uh, Christ-likeness. Um, or it, it's the process of us becoming more holy, more like God in our own lives. So that's the not yet. So we've got the already, which is being justified, and then the not yet, which is being sanctified. Um, the two of them are... Uh, as different as they seem, they're inseparable because you can never have one without the other. What I mean is, if uh, if someone has been justified, if they've been uh, declared righteous, then becoming more like Christ is just what flows out of that declaration. Uh, it flows out of what has happened to that person. It's a a natural process that flows out of being justified. So someone can't say, "I've been justified. I've been uh, uh, give. I've been given Christ's righteousness. I've been forgiven of my sins as well." And so, but I'm going to continue being who I am. I'm going to continue uh, in the lifestyle that I had before surrendering my life. Everything's going to be the same. It's not possible. Sanctification flows out of what has happened inside of a believer through justification. In the same way that sanctification doesn't happen unless someone has been justified. Romans 3 talks about how no one is good. No one uh, seeks after God. So if that's true, why? how can I say that all of a sudden, without surrendering my life over to Christ and without being can, uh, declared righteous... I'm going to pursue Christ's likeness. I haven't get, I haven't surrendered my life at all, but for some reason, I want to be like him, and I want to uh, to become more and more holy in my life. It, it doesn't happen, as Romans 3 communicates. So the two, you never have one without the other. They're connected. As different as they are, they're, they're inseparable. Um. I wrote in my notes that, that justification and sanctification are the same as being condemned and being disobedient. There's a, a, a parallel between the two. So before I was a believer, I was condemned before God. I was his enemy. And what naturally flowed out of my life was disobedience. It was the natural outflow of who I was, my actions, my thoughts, how I treated others naturally flowed out of who I was before God. And the same is true for me as a believer. 
who I am before God, what he's done inside of me, creates a natural outflow in my life and how I treat others and how I think and how I act, the desires that I have. So the parallel between the two is the same. Um, I wrote in my notes, the desire and drive for sanctification supernaturally flows out of the heart of someone who has been justified or has been uh, has received Christ's righteousness and forgiveness. So that's the natural outflow of that. In the same way that a self-loving, possession-hoarding life naturally flows out of a spiritually dead heart. So what you are and how you act are connected. Who you are before Christ and how you live your life are inseparable. Okay, It's the same. I read a couple of examples as fire and heat. You never have heat without fire. You never have fire without heat. They kind of, they, they go together. I think that's right. I might need to go back to that one. Um, or like when a rose blossoms, what naturally comes from the rose is this beautiful aroma that comes out of the rose that's blossomed. Um, so they're connected. They have to happen together. Um, you can turn to Romans 6 in your Bible. We, we, we're going to use some scripture today, uh, believe it or not. Um, you can believe it. Look at uh, verse 11. Verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's what, as a believer, that's what we are now. What we were before that was dead to God and alive to sin in Adam. So what we are now is dead to sin and alive to God through Christ. But what we were was dead to God and alive to sin through Adam's sin, through our inherent sin that we have. So that kind of shows the, the alternative to what we are and what we were. Um, so in the same way that sanctification flows out of justification and they're inseparable in that way, it is important for us to see them as separate. It can be confusing when we start to see our being justified as a progressive work. There are, um, uh, specifically in the Roman Catholic Church, their idea of justification is more of a, a mingled version of justification and sanctification. So they have this um, belief that through your life you're trying to attain a certain level of righteousness in your own life so that you can be, be considered acceptable before God. And then if you get to the point to where you die before you are acceptable before God, you go to this other place called purgatory where you continue to be purified until you are acceptable before God. So their concept of justification and sanctification is so inseparable that it leads them to, uh, to believe that they can't be acceptable to God unless they live out or, or earn their acceptance before God, which we know to be impossible. Um, but that's where they are, and there's been many debates, and there will continue to be many debates on that concept. Um, so we wouldn't want to say that justification is a progressive work in the same, in the same way that we wouldn't want to say that sanctification is a done deal, that, okay, I've uh, surrendered my life to Christ and um, received his righteousness before God, and I'm now accepted before God, and, uh, and my sanctification is complete. Not only do I have Christ's righteousness, but I am righteous as well. And so there's no need for me to repent, and there's no need for me to, um, to consider uh, areas of my life where I'm struggling or, or uh, where I, I may be failing because... I'm already considered righteous. I am righteous. I have achieved righteousness in my life. 
We can see how that idea of sanctification being uh, complete and done like justification really doesn't make sense. Um, I mean, even though I myself, I feel like I'm pretty close, uh, you know, even I have things to work on, okay? Sorry to let some of you folks down. Um, that was ridiculous. Um, so, we can't earn our favor before God, which is why it's so important for us to separate justification and sanctification. We go through times in our life where we just feel like we're just unacceptable to God, where we're burdened, where we have struggles that we're going through. And, I mean, we're just like, you know, I am so wrapped up in this area of sin that it's defeated me. Like, I, I don't know how God could love me. I don't know how, uh, how I could be acceptable to him. But we forget that we can't be acceptable to God. I can't be good enough to be acceptable before God, which is why it's so important for me to focus on what God has done for me, that God has made me acceptable before him, that he's done what's required. I still, I now have a uh, responsibility to pursue holiness and to pursue Christ's likeness, but my current state doesn't make me less acceptable to God. I wrote in my notes that our sanctification has no influence on making us more acceptable to God in the same way that our disobedience as unbelievers had no effect on making us more unacceptable before God. As an unbeliever, my acts of disobedience didn't make me more unacceptable, didn't make me more of an enemy to God. I was an enemy. I was unacceptable. Through Christ's righteousness, I'm acceptable. Through Christ's righteousness, I am secure in being accepted by God. Like we said before, there's a natural outflow that comes from that. But as far as my standing before God, I'm accepted by Him through Christ. So, Justification and sanctification are inseparable, but it's also important for us to see them as separate because it has it can be very damaging to us in our relationship to Christ not to see them as what they really are and how they work together. Okay, I'm going to uh, pull out the whiteboard here. We're moving on to when does sanctification happen. I've got a little time timeline here. And it is copyrighted. It's, it's not my own uh, handiwork. So I just want to give a shout out to Wayne Grudem uh, right now. Get this set up straight right here. Ta da! This is also this is my front yard right here. And I got steps going to my house, my front porch right there. Um, was doing some remodeling and uh, just happened to say, hey, I think I can make that into a good chart for today. All right, so when does sanctification happen? In your notes, sanctification begins at conversion or saving faith. Sanctification begins at conversion or saving faith. All right, so at conversion, uh, that's when we respond to the gospel in faith and repentance. Okay, that's that's the moment that's the moment when we say, Okay, I've heard the gospel and now I'm surrendering myself to the gospel. Okay? So right here we've got conversion, right here, number one. Um, and so it's at this moment that we are now free from the power of sin and the love of sin in our life. Okay? So this is when the process of sanctification begins. All right? Um, Romans 6, 6 through 7. 6 through 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. 
For one who has died has been set free from sin. So at this moment, you see uh, down here we were slaves to sin as non-Christians. But at this moment, we're no longer enslaved to sin. Okay? We have the ability through Christ, through God, to, to say, I don't want to sin anymore. This doesn't own me anymore. It doesn't have dominion over who I am. I now have the ability and desire to pursue obedience, to pursue holiness in my life. Now, it happens at different degrees. This is something that we've mentioned as well, that um, as believers, we're all, we all have the same amount or level of acceptance before God. But as far as sanctification, we all have different degrees of sanctification. We're all at different levels in our learning, in our knowledge, in our love for God and love for others. So we're all at different levels. And the same is true at conversion. We all have different degrees of, of desire that we're, that we're working through and different levels of, uh, of, of uh, our relationship with Christ that we're pursuing and different levels that we're being obedient in or being disobedient in. But there's some level of desire to be obedient, some level of desire to be like Christ when we submit our lives over to him, surrender to Christ uh, at the moment of conversion. Um, so this is the, this is the beginning. Uh, in your notes, sanctification continues for the life of the believer. All right, sanctification continues for the life of the believer. So this chart right here, the little stair step, it shows how over time there's a gradual increase in our, uh, in our likeness to Christ or in our, our holiness that we're growing in. Okay? It's not a straight shot. Okay? It's not something that, um, you know, we, we just, it's not a straight line that goes all the way up either to say, okay, I'm a Christian now and now I'm sinless. Um, there are areas, there are seasons of our life where we have struggles, where uh, we have things that are going on in our life that, um, that we're, I guess, struggling to trust truth during. And so, you know, it's not always an easy ride. There are times where we have to work hard um, to, to get through, uh, you know, something that, w that we're uh, having difficulty in dealing with. So that's kind of uh, what the stair step there represents, is that, kind of that up and down, those seasons of life, um, as we're, we're learning to be more and more like Christ. But overall, there should be a pattern of uh, Christ-likeness that's increasing during our life overall. Kind of what you guys were able to talk about this morning as you looked back on six months to a year ago in your life and you said, where was I then? Uh, you know, what was I struggling with then? And where am I now? What have I learned about myself or about what I was struggling with back then that now I, I know more about. Now I've found more victory in. Okay? And then hopefully uh, you have areas that you want to increase in in the future, areas that you want to say, I know specifically I'm dealing with this, I'm struggling with this, I'm not trusting truth in this area, and I want to overcome this. And so you're able to, to come up with a plan to say, I want to be like this in six months. I want to know more about this in a year. Okay. Um, again, in uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of, because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. That's kind of like that parallel that we talked about before. He says, just as when you were an unbeliever, you gave yourself over, your members over to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. Just as that, now, 
give your members over to righteousness, leading to more righteousness, leading to your sanctification. That same parallel that's going on, okay? And that's what's happening right here. Because of justification, we are now living out sanctification. Paul says the same thing in Philippians chapter 3, uh, 12 through 14. I really in, enjoy and am very thankful for how transparent Paul is. Um, you know, as knowledgeable as Paul was, he was very honest with his own struggle and his own life. And um, I, I'm thankful that we can gather a lot from Paul's example through Scripture, the struggles that he had. Now, he was striving to live out his faith. Philippians chapter 3, 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made, has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's communicating that he is, he is fighting for his uh, sanctification. He's fighting in his life. He is striving for obedience. He is striving to be like Christ in his life. There's no cruise control for us as believers. We don't just sit back and, and enjoy the ride and say, okay, you know, here, here I am, I'm, you know, I've surrendered my life, and now I'm just going to wait till the end. It shouldn't be possible, which is what we saw earlier. If I'm dead to sin, I'm now alive to God. It shouldn't be possible. Paul's saying there should be a struggle going on in your life. You should be fighting for obedience in your life. Striving for holiness in your life. Um, this is a, a wake-up call for a lot of us. Um, when we go through seasons where we're saying, I, just, I don't want to do this. I want to do what I want to do. Like, you know, I'm tired of this. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't really want to, um, I don't want to fight through this. But that's not... That's not an option for us as believers. It's difficult, yes. It's supposed to be difficult. I've had some great talks with, with Mags, uh, my daughter, about just all sorts of different areas of, of life and uh, of the Christian life. And um, I've taught her that if something is easy to do, it's probably not the right thing to do. If something's hard to do, it probably is the right thing to do. And then, of course, that doesn't fit for every occasion. But for us as believers, if I'm doing what naturally comes to me, if I'm doing the easy thing, it's probably not the right thing. But if I'm striving, if I'm fighting for something, if I'm having to discipline myself for something, it's probably the right thing to do. It's probably good to do. And it's not a burden because the end result of my striving and the end result of my pursuit is me being more like Christ. Me being uh, increasing in my holiness, increasing in, uh, in being dead to sin and alive to God. I um, also have a great example of this in my own life. Um, my mom... Uh, is awesome, and uh, she, over the last probably year and a half, I've seen her basically explode as far as sanctification is concerned. Um, two years ago, if you would have told me about who she is today, I would have never have believed you. Um, she, I was trying to think about what exactly happened uh, in her life, and it wasn't like this dramatic thing that happened, but at some point, the things of God came alive to her. And she was excited about the things of God, about learning and about uh, exercising her faith. I don't know when my mom received Christ in her life, but because of who she is today, I know that she did. 
at some point. She did. She um, she started out uh, just reading scripture. I think she did like a read through the Bible in a year scripture. She's reading, and I'll get texts from her. You know, what does this mean? You know, what's going on here? Type of thing. Uh, why did this happen? Type of thing. And uh, as the months went on, she decided that she wasn't content with just reading scripture. She was going to start going to church. Um, so she she goes to Brook Hills. She goes by herself. Um, it's a big church. It's a mega church. She knows that what she hears there she can trust and depend on. So on Sunday morning, she wakes up. She goes to church by herself. That wasn't enough for her, so she wanted to join a lady's small group. So on Wednesday nights, she goes to her lady's small group. Um, she doesn't know any. She didn't know anybody in there to begin with, but she knew that she wanted more. She wanted a small group of of ladies to be transparent with and to grow with. And so she's got this small group. They're going through a precept. So she is just like word by word focused on God's word and, and learning and retaining the truth of God's word in that way. She is borrowing my John MacArthur uh, commentary on Matthew, which is what they're doing the precept on. And so after they do their ladies' Bible study on Wednesday, she goes and reads through the commentary. She wants to know all the ins and outs, the historical context, uh, uh, the, how it parallels other things, the, the Greek, the Hebrew. I mean, the things of God are alive to her. And it is, she is such an encouragement to me when I talk to her on the phone. She's talking about all these things that she's doing. She, she wants to volunteer at a, a pregnancy services uh, facility, kind of like we have here uh, in Coweta County. She wants to volunteer there and invest herself in that way. And every time I talk to her, she's doing something different, you know. She wants more. The things of God are valuable to her. She sees the value in them. It's just a, a small example of somebody that in a very short amount of time has just increased dramatically in her love for God and in this process of sanctification that we're talking about. Um, she's awesome. She'll be here um, the end of May for the um, ordination stuff. So you could just say, you're awesome. Um, my mother-in-law's awesome, too. Um, she's here. So make sure you tell her she's awesome. Um, so ultimately, over time, there should be an, in an increase. Um all right, next in your notes, the completion of sanctification. Uh, sanctification is completed at death or Christ's return. Sanctification is completed at death or Christ's return. First um, John 3, verse 2, talks about Christ's return and what's going to happen. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. So, right now, Christ, He's already in His glorified state, been resurrected. He's, he's experienced what we will one day experience as far as our glorified state. So when he returns, we will be made like him and sanctification will be over with. This struggle that we have going on will be over with. And it will be a very glorious and wonderful day in many, for many reasons, but especially for sanctification being done with in our lives. This constant striving and struggling will be done with. It'll be like this huge breath of fresh air that we experienced. Um, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm experiencing some nasal cloggage, uh, which is a medical term uh, for y'all who don't know, um, because it's springtime outside is the reason, I suppose. But I will be so glad when it is summertime. Uh, sorry, I just thought about frozen all of a sudden. Uh, I'll be so glad when it's summertime because I won't be experiencing this nasal cloggage anymore. I'll be able to breathe easy, and every morning when I wake up, I won't have to go and blow my nose repeatedly so that I can breathe. So 
It's that breath of fresh air when Christ's return and sanctification is over with, and it's all over with. We just get to enjoy Christ and His presence and enjoy our glorified state of not struggling with sin any longer, anymore, for all eternity. So that's what we're going towards here. That's what we're moving towards. This is death or Christ's return. This is what we're going to right here uh, on the chart. Trying to get um, that song out of my head. All right, so next in your notes, uh, who is involved in sanctification? How does it work? Uh, Real quick, overall, sanctification involves God and the believer, okay? And most of the time, the emphasis is put on the Holy Spirit, uh, specifically uh, because we see in Romans 8, talking about walking in the Spirit um, instead of in the flesh. Emphasis most of the time is on the Spirit, but all aspects, all, all members of the Trinity are involved in sanctification in some way. Uh, your first note there, God the Father commands our sanctification. God the Father commands our sanctification. He is the primary role in our sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 3. I'm going to read through these three passages, and you're going to notice the word please or pleasing, and you're also going to notice the will of God, okay, or God's will. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 3, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again... From the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Now, may the God equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That was Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Next one is Philippians chapter 2, 12 through 13. Same thing. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. When we see will in there, God's will, basically the same thing as his command or what he determines to be done, that is God's will. That is what he says will happen, what he determines to be, what he commands. Okay, that's what the word will in there means. So our sanctification, our becoming more like Christ, is commanded by God to happen. And our sanctification is pleasing to God. All those passages not only talk about how it's the will of God for us to be more like Christ, but it's also pleasing to him. Now, the alternative to that is that if we're not becoming more like Christ, we could say that's unpleasing to God. I think it's healthy for us to have that perspective because if we, if we put too much weight on just us, I am justified, I'm considered righteous before God, and now I'm just going to kind of rest you know, and hang out. There's no reason for me to pursue Christ's likeness if I'm already accepted before God. I'm just going to hang out. I'm going to enjoy the world. But Scripture shows us that our pursuit, that striving that Paul talks about, is pleasing to God. I don't know exactly how that works itself out. I know that, you know, obviously um, there's, we've looked already in Romans where there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we can't say that if I'm not pleasing God, I'm not acceptable to God. Uh, I don't. Uh, he doesn't like me right now. Um, 
because we talked about before how that's my acceptance before God is taken care of. But there is an aspect to our obedience and sanctification that uh, somehow affects us pleasing God in our lives or us being unpleasing to Him if we're not pursuing sanctification. So I think that that's a healthy perspective for us to have. And I think that what also flows into that is, um, you know, we looked at one passage that talked about pursuing sanctification in the fear uh, of our Lord. And I think that that fear, uh, it's obviously not a scary fear of God, like, um, you know, like, look out kind of fear. But it's like a reverent fear of God. It's a healthy, good fear to say, you are God. You created me. You are holy. This is the life you've called me to. And I'm going to have a, a reverent awe for who you are that affects my life and affects my obedience before you. And I think sometimes we get caught up in assuming that God is just a, you know, a disconnected. You know, he may he may know uh what we're doing. He may he may he obviously sees our life, but as far as him being okay with our lives or not, he's kind of indifferent to it. You know, but it's not true. Our sanctification is pleasing to him. So it's important that we see that my actions before God have an effect on him being pleased with my life or him being unpleased with my life. So, again, I, I think it's a, a healthy perspective for us to have. Um, so God commands our sanctification. God the Son exemplifies our sanctification. <clears throat> he exemplifies our sanctification. Jesus lived the model life of sanctification for us. His life is the model that we have to go by. He was the one who was God and man. He lived the example life for us to aim for, for us to shoot for. Okay? Uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 21, For the... For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. 1 Peter 2.21 was that one. Uh, Hebrews 12.1-2 Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus is our example. He's the one that we look to, that we follow in his steps. He was God and man. He lived as we live here on this earth. His life is the model that we shoot for. He lived out our sanctification for us so that through his life, through his perfect life, we are now able to live out our own sanctification in this life. I have in my notes, we have our example through Christ of the life we are called to pursue. He paved the way. He lived the life. He paved the way of the life of the example for us to follow. Next, God the Spirit empowers our sanctification. God the Spirit empowers our sanctification. The Holy Spirit is our on-the-job source of sanctification. So he's the member of the Trinity that's right here with us. In, 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 the, uh, you know, in the battle, uh, in this life, he's, he's, he's right here with us, um, living in us at this, at this moment. So the other members of the Trinity aren't right here with us, living with us. The Holy Spirit is our on-the-job source of sanctification. I'm going to read a couple passages. I want you to listen out for through the Spirit, by the Spirit, in the Spirit, of the Spirit, anything that involves the Spirit. Okay? Romans 8, 11 through 13. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life 
to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Galatians five sixteen through 23. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But the, and then verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there are, Against such things there is no law. So, by the Spirit, through the Spirit, in the Spirit, of the Spirit, our sanctification, our pursuit of sanctification is only possible through the Spirit. It's only possible through the Spirit. He is the one who makes us alive to those things, to the things of God. He is the one who brings conviction in those areas. He is the one who brings a quickening to us. Um, he is the one who says, this isn't right and then empowers us to pursue the things that are right, to pursue those things that are true, who gives us the power to be disciplined, gives us the power to strive in our, in, in our becoming more like Christ. The Holy Spirit is, uh, or sanctification cannot happen without the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, So, Yes, all the members of the Trinity are involved. The Holy Spirit is the one who's on the job empowering us to pursue sanctification. All right, now to the good stuff. I'm just the believer pursues their sanctification. The believer pursues their sanctification. All right, so we've kind of gone through and said, okay, this is kind of the theological aspect of sanctification, but now this is where the rubber meets the road, okay? Because we are the ones that are the believers pursuing sanctification. All right, so um, believers have a, a two-part role that we're going to look at. The first one is a passive role, and then the second one is an active role. That was funny. All right, so passively, our role is to yield ourselves to God. To yield ourselves to God. Romans 6.13, Do not present your members to sin as instruments or weapons for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments or weapons for righteousness. Same thing in Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So this idea of presenting yourself, it's not, a, it's not an active role. It's just simply saying, God, here I am. This is who I want to be. These are the things that I, I want to pursue, pursue and I'm, I'm laying my life down before you in order to pursue Christ's likeness, in order to be, uh, in order to be a part of this pursuit of holiness that you've called me to, it starts with our having the, that right mindset. Instead of just going right into do 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 do, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? How do I need to do this? How do I need to do this? It starts with the right mindset, where where your heart is, to say, I'm ready. This is, I'm laying myself down. I'm laying down what I want in order to pursue what you want, okay? Um, it's this idea of surrendering yourself in the same way that you surrendered yourself at salvation. It's not a one-time surrender. It's not a, I did this 10 years ago. I gave my life over to Christ, and then that's it. It's over. We continue to surrender ourselves over to his will. We continue to surrender ourselves over to his desire for our life, to the Holy Spirit's leading in our life. All right, actively, 
I simply put, we need to start being who we are in Christ. We've looked at how the Trinity works and, and who, uh, who we're called to be. We need to be who we are. We've talked about um, taking what's inside and bringing it out to be seen. What's happened on the inside, taking it and bringing it out. Um, we're going to read a couple passages on this. Um, Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What it doesn't say is, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, be lazy with your salvation. With fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. We've got to work it out. We, got, we have to be active. It says, uh, it's God who works in you, but we have the responsibility to work out our, to work out our salvation. There's an active role in me pursuing the things of God and pursuing obedience and pursuing holiness in our life. Um, a couple other great passages that I'm just not going to be able to get to. Second uh, Peter 1, 5 through 10, he talks about making every effort to supplement your faith. Um, Romans 8, 13 says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, so it's not, but the Spirit will put to death the deeds of the body, but it's if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. So there's that relationship between us and the Holy Spirit, but it inevitably falls on us to pursue those things. It inevitably falls on us to be active in our relationship with Christ and in obedience to him. Um, I was also going to touch on 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. It's a great passage. It starts off talking about how we're a new creation. All right, we've been made new, um, but that we are now ambassadors of God. We're ambassadors of reconciliation. So God has reconciled us through Christ, but now it's he's now using us to bring the message of reconciliation to the world. So we have the responsibility in this life to be those ambassadors, to say, this has happened to me. God has done this for me, and now I want to pass it on to you and to show you this through my life. Um, let's see. I'm going to go back to the Second Peter 1, 5 through 10. Well, uh, we're close to the end here. He says, uh, verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. And then he goes through all these qualities. Verse 8, he says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, those qualities that he lists there, it's important for us to be pursuing, to not only just to know those qualities and for those qualities to be true about us, but for those qualities to be increasing in our life. It's because they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in your knowledge of Christ. The alternative to that is that we don't give effort to those things and we are ineffective. And we are unfruitful in our knowledge. And we just kind of sit back. We say, those things don't really matter. Or, I'm not concerned about increasing in those things. I'm content with where I am in my life, in these qualities, in, the, in my Christ-likeness. I'm content. But he says, we are to seek to increase these things about us to keep us from being ineffective or unfruitful. Or the application, it involves the very next verse in that passage. Verse 9 says, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. 
So if sanctification isn't happening in our lives, we don't realize who we are. We don't know, we don't remember what's happened to us. We don't remember who we belong to if sanctification's not happening. We're so nearsighted that we're blind to who we are. It's a natural outflow. It's that if then, if this is true about you, if this is who you are, then this is happening. These things should be increasing in your life. If they're not, I can't see myself. I, I don't see who I am. I don't remember who I am. I don't remember what's happened to me. If sanctification isn't happening, that's, that's the alternative to who we are. We don't remember who we are. We don't remember who we belong to. Um, it's important for us, like I'd mentioned earlier in the first hour, for us to go back to those growth goals that we had set. And they're basically just um, areas of our lives where we said, I, in the next year, I want to know more about this. Or I want this to be more true about myself in the next year. Um, it's like uh, Tyson had reminded me in the prayer chapter of Desiring God. He talks about how if we don't plan to spend time in prayer, we don't spend time in prayer. If we don't plan and make a time to do something specific, then we won't do it. If we're not planning specifically for how we're going to take this area of growth and make it true about ourselves, then in December... We'll pull that card out and say, well, I guess I'll turn this back in for January because I didn't do anything about this, so I'll give this another go. It takes initiative on our part to say, if this is what I want to, to know more about, if this is what I want to be more true about myself, I've got to be active. I've got to start striving for this to be true. Ultimately, the goal for us is found in uh, Romans 8.29. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The goal is to make us more like Christ, so that ultimately one day Christ is exalted, that he is lifted up, that we pursue pursue being like him so that he is the firstborn of many that will be made like him. That he will be the one who is high and lifted up and honored and glorified and worshipped. But we have to make sure that it's being worked out in our own lives. It happens at different levels. And, and the last thing I want is for us to leave here feeling condemned but I think it's important that we see sanctification not as a burden, but as a promise to us. That because of God's faithfulness, we will be more like Christ in our life over the years. That it's a promise to us. That God is faithful. And that it's not a burden. I hope that, you know, obviously as time goes by, uh, we tend to forget things that we've learned uh, you know, specifically uh, on a Sunday. It's hard for us to necessarily, I can't tell you three months ago what I heard, you know, on a Sunday that was taught. But I really hope that because this is what's happening right now in your life, that the promises that we looked at today and the working out of your sanctification and your responsibility in sanctification, that you'll hold on to that. Um, even if it's just that mindset. I there's a responsibility for me to yield myself to God, but also to be active in my sanctification, not to sit back. So I hope that you'll take these truths that we've talked about today, that they'll be more firm in your life for you to be able to trust in those truths um, so that you can use them, so that God can use them uh, in your life and in others' lives for His honor and for His glory. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful to you uh, for your faithfulness to us. Thankful that uh, once we surrendered our lives over to you, we weren't left on our own to figure out how to pursue Christ-likeness. That you didn't just leave us and say, okay, be like me. But God, you invested yourself in us to lead us and guide us 
to prove your faithfulness in our relationship with you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the body that you've made us a part of, that we can all grow together and challenge each other in our sanctification and encourage each other in our sanctification together. Um, ultimately, Father, just to bring you the honor that you deserve, the glory that you deserve. Father, we, uh, we lay ourselves down. We yield our lives over to you. Um, we want to be used by you as a body and as individuals. God, show us the areas of our lives where we're still stubborn, where we still uh, haven't decided to trust in truth so that we can uh, find victory in those areas so that we can, uh, Father, ultimately please you through our actions but also be used by you. We love you. We trust you. We pray these things. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.